Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Are you ready for book three of the Iliad? As a quick recap, we last left Homer making lists of people involved. Yeah, there may be a bit more of that coming up. Oh, right, as far as the actual action is concerned, we last left the Greeks and Trojans preparing to fight. And the action of book three picks up there. The Trojans amass, shouting war cries, and the Greeks amass, in silence. Alexandros is leading the Trojan charge. Now, before you ask, who, Alexandros, is Paris? I know, it helps keep things confusing. I'll call him Paris to try to keep things simple, but don't be surprised to see him called Alexandros instead. And no, this is not a Greek versus Latin translation thing. He is called both Alexandros and Paris in Greek. Like I said... It helps keep things confusing. Menelaus is thrilled that Paris is leading the Trojans because, after all, Helen was his wife first. So he runs to the front of the Greek army to lead their charge. As soon as Paris sees him, though, he slinks back into the Trojan line. Big brother Hector immediately chastises him for not having the balls to fight Menelaus. To save face, Paris agrees to fight Menelaus in a single combat challenge as long as whoever wins gets to keep Helen. They are such charming men, aren't they? Hector encounters H Hector enters the no man's land between the armies. Agamemnon tells the Greeks to stand down until they hear what Hector has to say. Menelaus doesn't really like the idea of resolving the war by single combat, but he is ultimately convinced that this is the best move. Hector sends for two lambs to be sacrificed, and he also sends for Priam, the king of Troy a.k.a. his and Paris's dad, so that he can serve as witness to the oath that the fight between Menelaus and Paris will end the war. Ready for them to fight? Sorry, not yet. Instead, we have a bit of a diversion. Iris, rainbow messenger of the gods, takes the form of Laodike, described as the loveliest of Priam's daughters and Helen's sister-in-law, and goes to Helen to tell her all about the duel between Paris and Menelaus. Helen lets a nostalgic tear fall as she thinks of her family in Greece. Because when you're the most beautiful woman in the world, you don't ugly cry. Helen and her attendants run to the walls over Troy's Skian Gate, where Priam and his advisors are already assembled. And thus begins a section known as the Tychoscopia, or the viewing from the wall. Yes, this is a thing that is so famous that it got a name. It got a name so famous that when I read my line note from back in undergrad, I couldn't remember what it meant. Here's what happens. Priam and Helen have a little chat while looking down at the action on the battlefield. And Priam grills Helen about the key Greek players, Agamemnon, Odysseus, Big Ajax, Idomeneus. She also notes that she doesn't see Castor and Polydeuces, her brothers who, unbeknownst to her, died back in Greece. The rams, in some cheerful wine, arrive for the sacrifice. Yes, Lattimore uses the word cheerful to describe the wine. I'm glad that the wine isn't sad. Priam leaves his spot, and Helen on the walls, and goes down to oversee the sacrifice and subsequent oath. The terms of the duel are repeated. Yes, this is another example of orality. And once the oath and terms are sealed, Priam gets back in his chariot and leaves. Hector and Odysseus take on the role of second for their respective sides, marking out the boundaries for the duel and drawing lots to see who gets to throw his spear first. Paris and Menelaus suit up. Hector had won the toin toss, so Paris gets to go first. 
He throws his spear and hits Menelaus's shield dead center, but it doesn't break through, so Menelaus gets a turn. His spear does break through Paris's shield, but Paris manages to twist away so that he doesn't get hurt. Menelaus draws his sword and moves in for the attack, but his sword breaks, so he grabs Paris's helmet and starts to choke him with a strap. So the war is won, right? Nope. Aphrodite sees that her favorite is about to die and causes the strap to snap. She then spirits Paris away and deposits him in his bedroom. Then she goes to Helen, in disguise because that's what gods do, and tells her that her husband is waiting for her in their room. Helen is no fool. She not only recognizes Aphrodite for who she is, but she calls her by her name and berates her for the way that she, that is to say Helen, has been treated, going so far as to tell Aphrodite that she, that is to say Aphrodite, should go and be Paris's wife or slave. But Helen, Helen declares she is done with the whole affair. Aphrodite threatens Helen, and Helen complies with the request that she go to Paris. Once there, though, she berates Paris for his loss, telling him that he may be pretty, but he's no Menelaus. He tells her that it's not his fault that Menelaus won. Menelaus had help from Athena. Except, of course, the only reason Paris is still alive is because he had help from Aphrodite. Paris reminds Helen that he's a lover, not a fighter, and does his best to demonstrate this. Meanwhile, on the battlefield, the Trojans and Greeks are united in their hatred of Paris. Agamemnon decrees that Menelaus has won the duel, and all of the Greeks cheer that the war has been won. And what do the Trojans think of this? Well, you'll have to wait, because this is where Book 3 ends. We'll take a quick break and come back to talk about the primary themes presented in what we've just read. The first theme to consider in this book of the Iliad is honor. When Paris shrinks back from the front line, Hector criticizes the action and Paris's lack of honor. The planned duel between Menelaus and Paris is an honorable way to end the war, assuming both sides stick to the terms. Hector is shown as the most honorable of the Trojans. And if you think you liked him in book three, just wait. He gets better. Quite the opposite of Paris, whom Aphrodite won't even let die with honor. Which leads to the next theme, or pair of themes, the juxtaposition of war and peace and the juxtaposition of war and love. Again, Paris is a lover, not a fighter. Just ask him. So much so that the description of Paris gearing up for the duel with Menelaus largely consists of explaining whose armor he is wearing. Each piece is a hand-me-down from someone else. He is a prince of Troy, yet he doesn't have his own armor to wear for this fight. You'll also note that Priam doesn't stick around to see what happens. He already knows who the stronger fighter is, and it's not his son. He chooses not to watch his son get struck down. Does Priam leave because of his love for Paris? We also see these themes explored in the scenes in which Helen appears. When Iris comes to her, she is weaving the peaceful work of women. But what she is weaving into the tapestry are scenes of the battles that are occurring outside of Troy's walls. And of course, there's the interaction between Helen and Paris at the end of the book. The final theme to explore is the role of women. This is a male-dominated text, but women are strongly present in book three. Honestly, 
I love Helen in this book. I love how she stands up to Aphrodite. I love how humanly conflicted she is. But we also should consider Helen's interactions with Priam and Paris. One of the sources I used in prepping for this episode points out that the war has already gone on for nine years. So why does Priam need Helen to point out the key Greek players? Traditionally, we are told that Priam really cares about Helen, but maybe he's just torturing her by asking her to describe all of these men she knew before she left Menelaus for Paris. It's a perspective that I had never considered in all of my rereading of the Iliad, but it definitely is making me look at the Tychoscopia in a new light. And maybe this helps explain the anger with which she greets Paris after Aphrodite coerces her to return to their room. This really is Helen at her best, showing the complex status that even a woman of means has in the patriarchal structures of the ancient Greek world. So what are your thoughts on Helen? Or Paris? Or Priam? Or Hector? The link to the blog post for this episode is in the show notes. On Monday, we'll cover Aeschylus's Prometheus Bound, and next Wednesday, we'll find out what happened on the battlefield after Paris was whisked away by Aphrodite. I'll talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.